Hey, podcast listener. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Eat Half Walk Double podcast, coming to you from the Ascend Endurance Coaching Studios here in beautiful Stratford, New Hampshire, US of A. I'm your host, Chris Dunn. If you've listened to the show before, well, welcome back. So this show chronicles my four decades in endurance sports as a coach, race director, and athlete, told to the stories of the important, influential, and interesting people I've met along the way. While I catch up with friends, colleagues, rivals, clients, and the occasional family member, it's my hope you'll learn a little something about health, fitness, and the secrets to living well along the way. Ryan Hanavan joins the show. He is the co-owner of Brown Bear Athletics and the Sports Barn in Missoula, Montana. A few years back, while he was living and working in New Hampshire, I had the great fortune to meet him through mutual friends. His passion for team sports as a coach and now as an entrepreneur is built around building youth and adult sport opportunities. As a coach and mentor, he understands the importance of building championship caliber culture as a foundation for any successful team or organization. And most importantly, he brings that commitment to every youth, high school, and adult athlete he interacts with. If you're interested in what it takes to build a great team in sports or in business, this episode is a masterclass on the topic. Well, here he is, Ryan Hanavan. Coach Hanavan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, so, um, for the listener who isn't familiar with, with Ryan Hanavan, why don't, why don't you start, um, uh, with a little bit about yourself, including, uh, where you live and what you do. So, uh, name is Ryan Hanavan. I am now living in Missoula, Montana. I am from, uh, upstate New York, Buffalo area, uh, as a, you know, where I grew up and I've just been all over the country. So I, I think that that journey is something that we might meander through uh, over this call. And uh, my introduction to you was the time that I spent in New Hampshire. I spent about 10 years in, in New Hampshire living in, in Northwood uh, and, and got to know you before uh, relocating to Missoula in 2020, right before the pandemic. So, yeah, I had a lot of a lot of uh, a core of, of a lot of things that I hope we kind of cover today will will be in that sort of New Hampshire window. So looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a that's actually a uh, a good opening. I appreciate you cracking the door on that because um, so you're you're a science guy, right? So uh, so you must be good at math. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so let me ask let me ask you this. Um, it's kind of a word problem. Okay. Um, and I, I didn't, I didn't tell you that we were going to be doing word problems uh, on the podcast, but I thought, you know, this, this, this word problem will, 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 will be a good segue into something I want to talk about. So, um, so let me ask you this, uh, what do 12 runners plus two vans plus 200 miles equal to you? Uh, A lot of, uh, senseless uh, comical movie puns uh sleep deprivation uh finding a way to uh channel will and determination from others to pull into myself uh the uh, reach the beach is the, the uh, 
it, it sticks with me. And I saw a comment on your Facebook post this morning, immediately channeled that, uh, you know, the, the Lindsay family who I love and, and adore uh, started talking about popsicles. And that was just one of the, you know, uh, family guy references that we made in that. Um, but yeah, the, the reach to beach is, is one of, uh, uh, it's a great memory. And, and the word problem, it's funny you even did this because I just like ripped into some PTSD from my PhD uh, candidacy exams where I was sitting down in front of this panel and they, you know, they told me, you know, just sit down, get yourself comfortable. Cause it, there was a big dry erase board up there. And I said, would you like me to go up to the board and be prepared? And he said, no, 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 sit down. It's going to be comfortable. And as soon as the first question was, can you please go up to the board? And then they had me go into this uh, statistical design. It was just, you know, this complex math that I had to work through. And, and as soon as he said that, I, I, I think I'm sweating already. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in the pre-show interview, you you asked if I was going to make you cry. And uh, uh, I said, probably. But you, I'm you, almost you, there. You, 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 but, but you didn't ask if I was going to make you sweat. So uh, that 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 I most that I most certainly would have answered in the affirmative. Um, 2014, uh, reach the beach uh, is what you were referring to. And for the listener who's not familiar familiar with reach the beach, um, it, it's it's an event that has happened here in New Hampshire for for many many years. My wife Karen and I um, we participated in the event, uh, for, uh, for a decade actually. Um, and, um, so the, the format is as I, as I gave the problem to you, um, 12 runners split up into two vans. Um, and, um, uh, those 12 runners in relay fashion, one runner after the next, uh, travel approximately 200 miles from the lakes, upper lakes region, White Mountain National Forest region of New Hampshire to Hampton Beach on the coast of New Hampshire. Uh, each of the each of the 12 runners runs three different legs of the race. Each leg of the race, again, relay uh, running fashion. Each leg is, I don't know, somewhere between three and eight miles uh, and so one of your team members is one person is running, you know, um, uh, at some point for the entirety of the 24 to 30 hours or whatever it takes to uh, to, com to complete the event. Um, so uh, you are uh, in a van with five other uh, of your teammates uh, for the entirety uh, of the event. Now, interestingly enough, uh, in 2014, uh, I was not participating, but I was there. So, uh, I, and I, I want to say it was the last year that we did the race as a team. I mean, it was the last year my wife did the race. I, my, my final year of the event was the year before, but for some reason, I think I was hurt or something. I, I, I couldn't run, but I was there and I'll never forget the, uh, the van ride, uh, from, uh, where we picked everybody up just to the start of the race. Um, and at that point, I think, I think, well, some folks knew each other, but uh, other folks were just, were getting to know each other for the first time. I, in other words, I don't think you, you knew Tim Lindsay and Janina Lindsay. Janina was the driver. Uh, you knew Tim, uh, Lindsay, Tim was one of the participants. You and I had met, I think, um, before that, and I, you may or may not have met my wife, Karen, but there were a couple of other teammates who you had not met before. And I'll just, I'll never forget that um, in that 
whatever it was, 90 minute van ride from where we picked everybody up in Northwood uh, to the start of the race. By the time we got to Bretton Woods, where the race started, my face hurt because I, I had been laughing the entire time. You and, and Tim and uh, I think Rich Lavers yeah. uh, were just, you, you guys just kind of kept going back and forth with, with movie references and in, impersonations. And, and uh, I thought to myself, man, I, I have had the time of my life in this 90 minutes and the race hasn't even started yet. <laughs> what, what do you remember? What do you remember about that, about that experience? Oh, absolutely. You know, so I, uh, I had been coaching Aiden Lindsay and I had, I had, I, th I think it was the, um, what was that Harmony Hill race series? That's where I had met you and I had met Karen so that there, you know, I, I had some, it, it, it wasn't, um, like, you know, the, I hadn't, you know, fully gotten to know you all yet, uh, but it was just sort of, you know, by association from some of these events and, uh, you know, enjoyed that. But yeah, getting into the van is one of those things. And I, I'm my, my character type or my personality is uh, I, I'm a talker. I'm a, a, a I, I break ice. I try to make people feel comfortable. You know, it's, it's sort of the coaching ilk or, or the coaching sort of um, demeanor that I carry. Um, but that is a read the room situation as well right and we got into a van and i think everybody was kind of nervous but kind of like anticipating a grueling task ahead and uh being goofy uh just dropping you know all sense of of whatever and and just you know speaking in movie and tv puns and and whatever it just it worked and we enjoyed a conversation that was kind of my recollection it was extremely fluid we all were sort of riffing off of each other and yeah i i think you know i would explain it or describe it the same my face hurt and you know i i look back on that as a, just a great memory and a experience yeah it's interesting um how um an event like uh reach the beach it, 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 it in a in a very sort of uh, short and compressed period of time, um, it it's almost like spending an entire season with a team. You know, there's this there's this thing where, and I'm I'm sure you've experienced it as a as an athlete and and as a coach. Um, uh, you know, over the course of a season, either as an athlete or a coach, uh, you have these shared experiences with with teammates and um, um, and it's it's something because of these shared experiences these are memories that you never forget. Yeah. Um, and, you know, while, while reach the beach was, you know, it didn't happen over the course of a season, a lot happened over the course of 24 hours that, um, uh, and, and uh, again, it, I, I'm not equating the event to an entire competitive season, but, but in a way these shared experiences create really strong, vivid memories. I, I know they have for me. And I mean, I can, I can think back over the decade that I, I did the event and I can, you know, I can, I can fondly recall uh, and tell stories, although my wife will correct me that I'm telling the story wrong at, at some point, but, but I, but I have such fond memories of the event. Does that, have you had, have you had those, those experiences with, uh, with teams, either as a, either as an athlete or a coach, this, this idea of these, of these shared experiences sort of bringing people closer together? 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I actually, I, I just looked back and um, I have a box of medals up on the wall. I can probably tilt my camera just enough there that you can see it. And the Reach the Beach is actually up front. It's uh, it's one of the last medals that I've actually you know achieved as a runner. Uh, I was hiding or, or just maybe unwilling to admit, I think I had talked to you a little bit about the injuries that were starting to build up. At that point, I had been running marathons and I had been training, got in my head this idea of, uh, of doing some ultras as well. And I just, um, uh, too much too fast was my, uh, my, my training regimen where I just, I took on a whole lot. But um, just to answer your question, the, the, the memories, the, the, the bonding, the experience, I, I think uh, absolutely do I have those with uh, a lot of the team sports that I've been a part of and, and just kind of coaching and um, trying to find ways to come together. And I, I believe that was really one of those. And it, it fits right into sort of that model where, you know, when, when you have a, a huge um, daunting task ahead, you have to find ways to uh, forget about it or to um, uh, minimize it in a way that um, it, it doesn't seem so insurmountable. Uh, you have to, you have to sort of uh, bundle it in a package that makes it uh, achievable, where you can kind of break it up. And I think that, you know, the, my my read on that experience was that we were all sort of trying to figure it out. And, I'm, you know, I, I'm pretty sure we did quite well in that as well. You know, that was the other thing is that there were a lot of teams involved. And we had some unbelievable uh, teammates in that group of 12. And, I just remember the the first van. Uh, I think that the first van was the the one tasked with the initial leg, and then we jumped in. I was in the second van, and then, you know we were we were doing work. I, I had I had fasciitis in both of my feet at that point, and I, I I you know we were talking about crying in this podcast. I was crying every step that I took, and and just wincing and, and trying. I, I remember we ended up on a basketball court at a school at one point where we were going to try and sleep or something, and we spent a, I, I don't know, we could have been there for 35 days or five <laughs> minutes and it didn't compute with me. Um, but again, it was that, it was that time in the van that we spent up front that really helped to um, kind of compartmentalize everything in different bins where I was able to hold on to that and really harness that when I needed it most. Um, and then, you know, we'll probably talk about a bunch of stuff here, but I, I, I think about, yeah, I, I, I was fortunate to be a, a coach on a, a men's collegiate lacrosse association, national championship team, the university of Montana in 2007. And it was one of those things where I had joined the coaching staff. That team had already made it several times the semifinals and lost. So they had a really talented group of kids. Uh, it wasn't going to be anything I did. Um, but I, I had come in and, and one of the conversations we had right away was, the approach. And I had used a Mount Everest analogy. I had taken, you know, each of the games that we were going to play and turned it into some, you know, like base camp up to the, the fourth camp and tried to try to get the teams to sort of rally around that. And I, I would equate that to a hundred percent one-to-one translation to what we did in the van in that drive from Northwood to the, the uh, first leg to, to that national championship run, because you just, you have to find ways. You have to be able to put things into boxes that you can you, you pull from at a later point because that that's really what happens is there's so much uh, mental exhaustion, fatigue, wear and tear that's going to you know pull you in different directions, 
and you know joking about the Family Guy popsicle uh, you know thing for a little while, or talking about Ricky Bobby in in uh, you know some some movie context. It just it it really helped, at, particularly at a time when I was I was injured, I was wounded, I was exposed, vulnerable. Right, I I, I knew that if I was going to do anything, I was going to have to hide some injury and, and just kind of plow through. And, and that's kind of what we did. So, yeah, I, I recall we, we did really well in that race. Uh, and I, I cried there. We're going to, uh, the crying thing is going to come up a couple of times, but I, I was, I was spent after that. And uh, really, I, I remember uh, went into therapy and, and was trying to figure out how to, to get through that. But it, it took me about a year to recover after that. Well, if you were in, if you were in discomfort, um, the uh, at least the photo that I saw that Janina took uh, of you during one of the the legs that you were running, uh, it wasn't evident. You had a you had a smile on your face from ear to ear, and maybe maybe you were smiling because you were done, <laughs> or maybe you were smiling because you were just you were just super enjoying everything. It, there there it, there was. Uh, about this, uh, about the experience, and, and about and about the moment that you were in, um, I, I I appreciate you um, mentioning your 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 background in coaching. I introduced you as coach, so I want to spend some time talking about uh, talking about that, um, and um, uh, and who you are as a coach. What, you know, why coaching is important to you, what your philosophy is on coaching. Uh, and just let's let's explore that uh, a little bit. But let, let me open with this. Um, I am of the opinion that uh, and and I should say that that not only not only am I a coach, um, but I grew up the son of a coach. My dad um, just retired last year. He, he had been a uh, he had been a football coach for uh, well, for for the entirety of my life. He had been a football coach for 52 or 53 years. Uh, so I, I, I grew up the son of a coach. Uh, I, I coach myself. So I I have a I have a very deep personal connection to coaching. I think I think I understand it a little bit. Um, and what I understand about coaching, having grown up as a coach and, and as a coach myself, is that coaches teach habits. Right. Um, my question to you is, and you've had experience coaching at the, at the, at the youth level, at the scholastic level and at the collegiate level. My question to you is, um, how are the habits that you teach different based on the level that you are coaching youth, scholastic, collegiate? I, I should actually also maybe back up and, and, and ask you if you do you believe that coaches coach habits? And if so, then how does, how do those, how do those habits change? How do you, what, what habits do you teach uh, uh, that are different at those different levels? So uh, I a hundred percent subscribe to the habits and, and I am um, maybe even hyper focused or hyper calculated in how I take that approach. Um, so it is, um, you know, the, the, I, I break things up into 
uh, so I coach lacrosse. That's that's my main sport. I'm actually um, I'm I think I'm certified to coach just about every team sport that there is. I hold credentials. You know, we have this business. We'll probably talk about as well. Uh, but even just my my time at Northwood Rec. Uh, and just trying to make sure that the kids could play basketball and, and soccer and do all those other things. I have always been, uh, you know, I've always subscribed to the, the method that I'm going to train, I'm going to learn, I'm going to appreciate, you know, everything there is about the sport that I'm, I'm teaching. Uh, but really teaching habits, that point that you just pointed out. I'm also the son of a coach. My dad was a hockey coach. And I uh, would go to the rink with him and skate back and forth uh, from one of the benches to the other while watching him uh, coach. And I have fond memories of the end of practice where the goalies would taunt me and I would end up just skating over as fast as I could. And they, you know, let me pull the jerseys over. We'd do a little hockey fight and then, you know, dad would take me wherever and, and on to the next. But uh, teaching habits is absolutely um, it's something that I think about all the time. And I have um, purposefully uh, kept myself into coaching kindergarten through second grade just about every program that I've ever run, even when I was a college uh, head coach, uh, coached at three universities, uh, even when I was a, a varsity uh, high school head coach uh, back in New Hampshire, uh, I'm actually jumping back into the, the high school ring here this year, um, and I'm still coaching K through two. And, you know, that habit, uh, that, that word habit and, and the concept of, of teaching habits uh, is, it, it rings very true with me. Uh, the way I see it is every stage along the developmental or, or the, the, our, our timelines from when we're in kindergarten to, you know, when we get to that middle school and, and high school level and then up into college is we're, we're always uh, we're always building. We're always putting more on top of, of what we've already accumulated. And that includes bad habits. Uh, so the, the habit thing to me is uh, it, it's very focused on breaking those bad habits or identifying when bad habits uh, come in, you know, and, and, and we, um, we want to just create um, fundamentals, we want to create that sort of core that you can build off of uh, to help anyone. And it's not driven on, on the concept of, I need to turn this kid into a division one uh, scholarship athlete. It's more driven on, I need to make sure that this kid is having a great time doing what they are doing. That's really, you know, the, the way I focus on habits is, you know, success will be measured uh, on those results. And, and those results are, are really just to create that positive experience and, and to make sure that that kid, is, you know, has all of the tools that they need to go in at whatever level that they're at and uh, to compete, but to have fun. And I, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I often uh, go back and I, I recalibrate and I look at my philosophy. My philosophy hasn't changed over time. My approach has changed. And, you know, I, I think that you probably are, are, you know, in that same boat where you know, we always look back, we always reflect and want to, you know, assess ourselves on whether or not, you know, how did I do on building with, with you know, teaching those habits? And how did I, how did I do, uh, you know, with this group of, of kids and, and you just, you know, measuring them? It's really cool to be able to measure a kid from kindergarten to college. I have kids that have kids now, you know, and, and, uh, you know, one of the cool things that happened when I was in New Hampshire, uh, one of the kids that I coached at the University of Montana had nephews that lived in, um, uh, where were they? They were in um, Nottingham. Yeah, they lived in Notting Nottingham and they came over and they were part of our Bear Cub program. So I was, you know, coaching 
a, a second generation of, of a family that I had coached uh, to a national championship. So it was really cool. But the, the habit building part is, is a, it's a foundational to me. I, I, I really look at like an athlete development model over time where I want to be able to give, you know, these kids all of the basic building blocks that they need when they're young uh, and then just to keep it fun all the way through uh, high school. And then hopefully they go on to, to college and continue to play. And mm. let, let me, let me, let me ask the, let me ask the question um, uh, a, a little bit, a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, so um, let's imagine that, um, that I, I have a, I have a youth lacrosse player and I send them to, to coach Hanavan. Mm-hmm. Um, my youth player comes home and I, and I ask him, uh, or her, uh, how did practice go? What did you do in practice today? Um, at some point, if I continue to ask the question, a theme is going to start to emerge. And ultimately that theme, uh, is part of the habit that you are trying to build at the youth level. Are you more likely to be building skill habits in other words physical development habits or or are they more uh, mental uh, approaches to the game help me to understand help me to understand that continuum how, how do we how do we build upon prior habits start start at the very start at the foundation level for me my youth player uh, you're coaching my youth player what what do I continue to hear night after night at the dinner table when I ask my son or daughter, uh, how did practice go? I would, um, I would challenge you to walk into like Hannaford or uh, uh, Cooper Hill in, in Northwood and just yell, what's up, ball? And, uh, you know, if, if any kid that I've ever coached is in there, they're probably going to start laughing. It's a mental thing early on, and then it's the skill, physical thing later on. I, um, I try and find ways uh, to inject that kind of silliness or the humor. Uh, I try and find ways that, um, you know, really builds on, on just teaching them how to communicate with maybe a little bit of silliness or humor. Uh, but yeah, you know, having a kid, I, I, I need a kid to scoop a ground ball, right? So picking up a ball that is now on the turf, I need them to take their lacrosse stick. If we're going to be coaching lacrosse, I need them to take their lacrosse stick and, and scoop a ball. Is there a way to teach, you know, skill-based and, and just focus on that only? Absolutely. Um, but is there a, a mental side of it that's probably more important? In my opinion, there is. Uh, and that, you know, is where I kind of inject that um, that humor. I like the, to have them get as low and, and, and grounded as possible, dragging their knuckles on the turf. And as they pull that ball up, you know, we, we need to get it onto their shoulder so that they can throw a pass or shoot. Uh, so I always joke around and, you know, when the, the ball is right here, I would say, what's a ball? And the kids really glom onto that. And I just, I, it's kind of stuck with me, you know, almost to the point where I think even the college kids that I still work with say that. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that, you know, that interesting, cause that, that, that answer surprised me. Uh, I would have thought uh, that that would have been flipped, that, uh, that, that it would be, it would have been the physical skills uh, were developed before sort of the the mental approach. So that's that's really fascinating. All right, um, so now I've got a I've got a high schooler. I've got yeah. a scholastic uh, lacrosse player, and uh, uh, we're, my son or daughter. We're sitting down at dinner time, and I I you know, I ask them every night, "How did practice go?" At some point, uh, a theme is going to begin to emerge about Coach Hanavan and his approach. Um, 
what are we teaching for habits to to our to our high schoolers, our scholastic lacrosse players? Uh, the, the the one word answer is failure. It, it it's failure, and and you know I'll, I'll expand on that right now so that I don't completely crash this podcast. And- <laughs> <laughs> uh, please please to do that. So um, you know I I bring kids into a field for practice, and we're talking about a high schooler right now. And one of the things that I have found. Uh, more so now in the present day that we live in with, you know, coming out of the, the uh, pandemic is that uh, kids are terrified of failure and kids are, are very much uh, focused on success. And in my opinion, you really can't find success without completely falling flat on your face several times. And what I really want to teach kids in practice, especially, and, you know, I, I, I go back to just I think about a lot of the coaches that I've had. I think about a lot of the experiences that I've been able to be a part of. And, and I try, uh, much like being a parent, much like being a teacher, you know, you, you kind of look to the, the, the positives, the success stories, and you kind of build off of those. But you also take some of the negatives as well and try and improve on them. Um, I want a kid to come into practice. And what I want them to do is I want them to push themselves as hard as they possibly can. At the high school level, I want them to I want them to understand that in a practice situation, we cannot lose. We're not going to lose a game. We're not going to lose a season. We're not going to lose anything. You cannot lose in practice. However, if you never take a chance, if you never take a risk, and you never push yourself to a point where you would fail, where you would you know not be able to complete something, we're never going to know how far we can go. So I want a kid to walk into practice and understand that today is the day to to miss as many passes as possible, doing so in a way that you're trying to make sure that you get to a point where you are completing those passes, you are making those moves, you're doing something that you uh, came into practice not thinking you could do, but you're leaving practice knowing that you can do so. Failure is a big thing that I I really emphasize on, and you'll hear me in a practice if you... uh, and I think people in towns uh, over, maybe two towns over, will hear me. I think maybe that's why I moved to Montana is that it's such a big open space that my, my voice carries so far that maybe pe- people don't hear me at some point. But no, I, I really want a kid to walk onto the field and I want them to know that, you know, my opinion of all sport is it's, um, it's an open license of creativity. And if you just do the things that everybody else does, does, excuse me, does, it's kind of boring, right? Like I want, I want to be able to push things. I want to be able to take things to a next level. And I want to just see, you know, what a, a, any given kid has in their toolbox and whether or not they can actually add a couple of more tools along the way over the course of the season. Yeah, it's very much aligned with, um, with my uh, philosophy on fear-based versus love-based motivation. I, 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 I feel like fear-based motivation is really hollow, that rather than being motivated by the fear of failure, we're motivated or inspired by the love of achieving greatly. Now, along the way, clearly, um, we, um, you know, we, we have to push up to the, what I call the obstruction, right? Because, because in, 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 in our theory, in my own coaching theory, Beyond that obstruction, it opens up levels of of, of power uh, and strength that are that previously were unimaginable. Except most people are never able to tap into that because they're not able to move beyond the obstruction because they because of their fear of failing. So they go right up to the edge of their potential and they stop. 
uh, again, ideally, if we if we can if we can be driven by by the love of achieving greatly rather than driven by the fear of failure, we're, we allow ourselves to push beyond the obstruction. And next thing we know, we open up levels of performance that we always possessed that, that we never fully realized because we never allowed ourselves to go that far. I think to me, it, it, it sounds like we're, we're very much aligned in that philosophy. Um, all right. So um, now uh, my, uh, my college lacrosse player, um, we don't sit down anymore for a nightly meal, but they come home occasionally for holidays. And let's say they're coming home for the, uh, for the, for the Christmas holidays and, uh, um, uh, or actually better yet, they, they're coming home for the summer. Collegiate lacrosse is a spring sport. Is that correct, coach? Correct. Yeah. All right. So, um, so my college lacrosse player comes home for, uh, for spring break. Kind of making this up, and I, or or I call them on the phone, and I ask them, uh, "How's practice going? What, what am I going to start to hear as a theme um, about their uh, their collegiate experience under Coach Hanavan?" So um, it, it again, it, it I think you can find similarities all the way back down to that K through two group, to the youth group, to the scholastic group, to the college group, where we're continuing to build on something in college. Um, I, I expect us to speak the same language without having to teach that language. You know, I, I want and that's that's really, you know, where I get to a point with the high school kids. I want to make sure that that I'm you know teaching them everything that they need to know so that by the time they show up to any college coach they are speaking that language and the you know the the the, the um, phrase lacrosse IQ or sport IQ is where I would start to to focus on that college athlete I want that IQ to be um, it doesn't have to be exceptionally high but I want it to be high enough that we are not having to go back and focus on some of the fundamental things that are going to get in the way of, of accomplishing something new or something special. So the conversation, um, I'm, 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 uh, you know, the, it, nowhere near the, the, the fear-based side of things. Um, but I do, I do push, I, I want to, um, I want to see a kid in, in a, a high rep situation really grind and, and really, um, at that point, you know, we were talking about the, the, the failure aspect of things. I expect a college kid to, um, to not look to me when they fail, uh, but to start, you know, I, I want to be able to look at that kid. I want to be able to see them internally working through what just happened and coming up with new ways to fix it. And then I want to see them apply that in motion. And that our conversation at the back end is me just saying, what'd you do? How'd you fix it? You know, I, I want that. And then, you know, them going home to their, their, their parents' conversation, they're going to say, yeah, he is uh, way too focused on the past. He keeps talking about where we ended up last season and he keeps telling us the damn score of the, the, the final game that we lost in the semifinals. And he keeps reminding us that we were the, you know, I, I, I do, I grind on, on, on things and I try and build on things. So, um, you know, I, I had a group of college kids in, in our facility last night. They're playing a, a small box uh, season with us for the, the winter as they kind of head into uh, uh, Christmas break. And that's a big conversation that I have with them is that, you know, what, what, what are you doing right now to help your teammates and, and where do you guys want to be at the end of the season? 
So, um, you know, their conversations uh, at, at the dinner table with their parents are, are going to be, uh, man, this guy, this guy uh, he, he doesn't really stop on certain things. So I, I'm, I'm a grinder, man. I, I, I think that, you know, I, I, I really do uh, get a lot of solutions out of, of high rep situations. And I, I really want to be able to see those kids at that point figuring things out on their own. And then being able to effectively communicate that back to me, the, the figuring your, your things out on your own—that's that's key. But to me, what's critical is their ability that, that to then communicate that to me in a way that I know that when we're in a stressful situation, say we're in a game, you know, going into the third quarter where we're already down by five or six goals, that it's not going to be me that gets those kids back into the game. It's going to be those kids, right? Like you know, I can only do so much. To me, coaching is is done in practice. I just stand on the sidelines and wear the gear that they give me for the games. Uh, I mean, that's ex that's exactly my point, right? As a coach, you've never scored a goal, right? Right. <laughs> Your role, as I see it, really is to build habits, so that in those critical crucible moments, your players respond in a way that puts them in the in the greatest possible position to be successful. Because ultimately. You, you've never logged a single minute of game time as a coach. Yep. Right. Not, uh, not, not that there isn't sort of in-game coaching that happens. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish the role of the coach, but the truth is no coach has ever scored a basket. No coach has ever scored a touchdown. No score coach has ever scored a goal within a game uh, aside from maybe a player coach. Okay. You can, I guess you could correct me. Uh, in yeah, that. Reggie, Reggie Dunlop, uh, slap shot. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you for the slap shot uh, reference. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me, let, let me, let me switch gears a little bit maybe um, and ask you, ask you this. I, I had, I had posted a, a photo uh, on the, uh, on the podcast, Facebook page, uh, letting folks know that, that I was doing this show and, and, uh, uh, I, I happened to use a photo. I, the great thing about you, Ryan, is that there are, there are no shortages of phenomenal photos on your Facebook feed. Like I had a lot of really great photos to choose from. For some reason, I landed on a particular photo just to kind of introduce you to my audience that we were having this podcast. And uh, the, the, the gist of the, of the Facebook post was, you know, I'm sitting down to have a conversation with, uh, with, with Coach Hanavan. And, and uh, you know, if you have any questions uh, for him, let me know. Um, <laughs> one of the listeners asked the question about, um, and it was completely unexpected, but she asked a question about Capri Sun juice boxes, whether or not how old the photo was. First of all, it, the photo was, was of you. Uh, in fact, the, the photo is, is the, is the cover art of this podcast episode, by the way. Um, the photo is, is a photo of you holding a Capri Sun juice box. I had no idea what the significance of the photo was. I just thought it was a, it was a funny photo. Like lots of the, of your photos are funny photos. Um, it, but your, but your reply to her, I, I thought was kind of interesting and I want to explore it a little bit. Uh, Cause I, I think you were sincere in your response. My question is this, what is your coaching philosophy have to do with Capri sun juice boxes? Yeah. So um, we're going to continue on that uh, spectrum of, you know, youth, the, the K through two, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth uh, levels. Not until you're in high school should winning really matter, right? 
everybody loves to win and you know we we can accomplish that we can we can hit those peaks we can hit those goals but to me when i'm coaching a youth group you know when i'm when i'm working with a group of of third and fourth graders and by the way i i stepped back last year and coached my son's third fourth grade team uh, and it was one of my favorite things because I was developing coaches and I don't want to be on the sidelines uh, stepping on their toes. I want I want to give them that freedom to, to coach and develop. So I let some of the kids at the higher level uh, that that have been working with me continue to do that. And I just I had a blast with the third and fourth graders, the Capri Sun thing. So um, I've been critical of of the way we tend to hyper focus on winning at all levels uh at the you know the 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 more like travel select and and uh elite groups where it's it really is focused on a tournament that's going to crown champions that's fine at the higher levels that's fine when you get to high school it's fine when you get to college we we should be focused on on you know hitting that as our our ultimate objective or target Uh, but to me the kids at that um at that youth level should be more focused on coming together, doing the things that we've been working on in practice, building on the things where we have, you know, found successes and, and uh, understood our failures and celebrating at the end with a box of Capri Suns that come out of a cooler with the orange slices and the M&Ms and, and trail mix and all that. And, um, you know, if, if you talk to particularly like the kids that know me right now, like the, if, if you were to come, uh, what is tonight? We're, we're at Wednesday. I had I had a bunch of lacrosse last night. And I'll have some flag football tomorrow. If you come in and you ask any of those kids, just like if, if or or just brought a box of Capri Suns, they will f- see it and they will identify it to me right away. And they'll be like, "Oh my God, coach is coming. We're gonna you know because they they see the Capri Suns and they understand that that's gonna be the you know the, the trophy that they're gonna get at the end." And um, uh, just a little secret, if if uh, if any, anybody's listening, the spoiler alert, you're going to understand my entire um, uh, secret here. But every time, you know, Capri Sun comes out, I'll always look at the flavor and I'll look at the kid that's closest to me and I'll say, this is the best flavor that they make. And all of the kids will hear that and they'll be like, oh, this is amazing. Coach got us the best Capri Suns <laughs> in the world. And that's really what it's all about to me is, you know, it's um it's using something as as uh, simple as a tropical punch Capri Sun for a group of kids then to sit around and joke about it as the best flavor, but then to talk about all of the experiences that they just went through. And that's usually where you'll hear them say, did you see Tim scored uh, his first two goals? Did you see uh, Marty out there, you know, got his, his first assist or, or you know, you know, uh, Scott got his first save. It's always about that, right? They start to identify some of the, the things that, we've been focused on on trying to find in practice and it's a Capri Sun that brings out the best in all of these kids to then go back and, and recount the things that I'm just hopeful as a coach that they're learning. Yeah. This you've described it as the, for the kids approach yeah. to youth sports. Um, <clears throat> what, what it's actually kind of, kind of topical because uh, uh, there's a story uh, that, uh, just broke nationally. Um, and it's a, it's a college level coach, but nevertheless, I think it's, I think it's worth adding to this discussion. Uh, but there's a national story about a college coach who left a small college program to take a job at a much larger college program in Colorado. 
right? Um, and seemingly, when this college coach was at the smaller program, it was all about the kids. And it was about, it was about developing and elevating the kids. Until there became 5 million reasons or 29 million reasons why the coach made a decision to leave the smaller program to go to the bigger program. I get it. There's a huge difference between, uh, between you know, second, third and fourth graders and, and college kids. Um, but un but, but un unfortunately, I think, I think those, that, that message trickles down into youth sport yeah. unintentionally because let's face it, most youth sport coaches follow professional sports. Yeah. Not that they're necessarily emulating professional coaches, um, but I'm sure there are a fair number of youth coaches whose, whose idols are collegiate or professional coaches. Do you, do you see do you see the, the the discrepancy there? Do you see the potential sticky point and the connection between those two things? Yeah, and uh, you could probably uh, point to a whole bunch of things on me, right? I own a business. I have an indoor turf facility where we run sports and charge people to, to play in them. Um, I can tell you that I actually don't take a penny from that business um, it's, it's all my time is donated to that. So the, the, for the kids thing to me has always meant something more and, um, you know, going all the way back and, and, and the, the core 10 years in New Hampshire, where I was coaching youth and coaching high school at the same time, you know, one of the things that I have really pushed myself as a, as a, a developing professional, um, in all aspects of life, as a scientist, as a coach, uh, as a husband, as a, you know, kind of going to your podcast intro here and, and identifying all the things, the astronaut hopeful thing, we're going to have to maybe touch on that at some point. And, and it's kind of a, yeah, uh, anyways, the, um, the, for the kids thing though, you know, really uh, to me, it's, it's about creating opportunity. I, it, to me, I, I, I've really pushed myself every year to go out and work with Division one college coaches, professional coaches, you know, coaches that do make uh, six plus figures in in coaching for the you know the work that they do, and um, I've gotten some salaries. You know, as a high school coach, I've I've taken a salary. I'll get paid this year as well, um, but I tend to take that money and I just put it back into buying goals or buying supplies or or you know putting it into resources. So, um, the for the kids thing to me it it rings very true. Uh, it also, uh, it, I, I look back on experiences that I had or didn't have, right? So you you want to you want to kind of draw from the pros and cons of of our past as well. And I want to make sure that everybody has opportunity because when I had opportunity, I was absolutely grateful for it. And that's where, like, you know, this game has been so special to me. As in the game I'm referring to is lacrosse. I'm primarily a lacrosse coach. I look at it as the absolute. Um, the, the greatest game, right? And and as we would all kind of glom onto whatever it is we do as the greatest thing, uh, I look at it as, as sort of this like absolute release. So to me, I want to be able to give that experience or that opportunity for a kid to experience, you know, that uh, back. Um, the for the kids thing in New Hampshire was also even more where I started to see, and, and this is a national uh, 
epidemic as well. There's there's a shortage of coaches. There's a shortage of referees. Uh, it's difficult to to you know build youth sports at the rec level anymore, and and it's uh, it's a number of things. So um, Northwood was going through. Uh, a, a spell where they didn't have a rec director, they didn't have a league coordinator. Uh, so I just jumped in and, and was all of a sudden opening up basketball gyms for kids to go play in or soccer fields. I was out trying to find monuments on the corner of soccer fields to paint them and, and I'm learning soccer rules uh, right away. Uh, side note, I still can't do a bicycle kick or uh, uh, yes, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but the the for the kids thing, like to me, it's it's really um, I want to make sure that everybody has that experience because again, you know, those kids that are at the K through two level right now, it's not about anything other than them just showing up to have fun and and just having that opportunity and and to making sure that their parents are just there to watch them and and love watching them play. You know, we we talked about the the Lindsays here earlier. And uh, I am so proud of, of what Aiden has done. I've, I've gotten to know him since he was just this, he was a bear cub. He was one of my bear cubs and running around there. And, and uh, you know, I, I reached out to them last year because of his interest in going to college. And I was first to volunteer to call college coaches for them because I want to see him do well, right? So for the kids to me is just, you know, when, when I take a coaching gig, if it's a bear cub program or it's the the next head coach in a division one lacrosse program, it's always going to be for the kids. Like to me, it's about that. And, and, and that's really, you know, yeah, you could throw a million, $3 million at me and see if that changes. Um, I can't, you know, speculate as to yes or no and, and whatever that is. But ultimately I just, I want to, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm giving my very best or, or everything that I have to create that opportunity for the kids. Well, I think, look, I'm, I'm a, I'm a capitalist as much as, as the next person. I don't necessarily think that, um, uh, that money changes the calculus I think, I think some coaches, I think some coaches, regardless of what they're getting paid, they're either in it for themselves or they're in it for the kids. I, I, I just think it's money just makes it complicated, but money doesn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily drive it in, in one direction or another. Hey, let me, let me get your hot take on something while yeah. I, while I have you here and we're, we're on this, we're on this discussion of coaching and lacrosse. Um, what, what's your take on, um, on uh, kids playing lacrosse exclusively mm. as youth um, in order to have a chance to play either scholastically or collegiately. What, what's your take on single sport focus uh, uh, in youth athletics? Uh, not a fan. So I run a business. I'm a capitalist as well, right? We've, we've cited that a couple of times and I do offer lacrosse programming effectively year round. Uh, that, so that's to say that I do see some of these kids um, coming in season to season and, and almost year round. Uh, I try as much as I can to push kids into other sports. I'd love to see every kid play basketball or hockey. I'd love to see all of my lacrosse uh, athletes playing other sports. Uh, there's just so much crossover. And, you know, we, we started out talking about reach to the beach and I was talking about my own injuries. Uh, injuries are a big thing and, and just fatigue, right? Like that's a big thing in just being a single sport 
athlete specializing at an early age. So I'm not a fan. I, I really do. Uh, I actually just pressed send on an email last night to a, a mom that apologized that her son couldn't come to my optionals. I have an optional workout that I'm going to head to after this with my high school kids. And it's my lacrosse team. And the mom was apologizing because he made the basketball team. I, my, my response was awesome. Can you please send me the schedule? Cause I'll go watch his games. Right? Like I don't, I don't want a kid to show up because you know, he doesn't want to miss my stuff. And then, you know, they're going to show up for my lacrosse practice today and they're going to play European handball. You know, that's the, the, the way it's going to be. They're going to do something different. So uh, I'm a big fan of, of cross training and it, it really, I think it's, I think it's defined where we're at with this, um, this, this Brown bear athletics that I kind of started to talk a little bit in an email with you about, um, you know, this, this business that, that kind of stems back to Amy, my wife, when she was the rec director in Northwood, and we were kind of getting involved in all these other sports. And I found that, um, you know, kind of selfishly, it would help me to stay sort of engaged with those kids that are going to come back and play lacrosse because now I could coach them in flag football or I could referee them in soccer uh, or basketball. So I'm, you know, still interacting with them and developing developing that sort of coach to, to athlete rapport that you want to develop over time. But I don't have to have them playing one sport year round. Yeah. So what do you, what do you say to, uh, to parents who say, um, you know, I, we feel like in order for Joey to make the high school lacrosse team, he needs to play, be playing lacrosse year round. Uh, what, 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 what's your, what's your, what is your response to that? Maybe you don't have a counter argument, but what, how do you, how do you respond to a parent that says in order for Joey to play at the high school level, he needs to, play year round as a, as a youth. Chris, I'm a New Yorker. I have a response to everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I, and, and it's blunt at times. I'm, I'm not afraid to tell them that it's not the greatest of ideas, right? Like I, I think, um, and I have had this conversation. I, I have, I have some kids that are exceptional and, um, I am grateful for some of the parents that, um, you know, are my dear friends, like the, the fries in, in, uh, uh, Northwood have, you know, kids that are great athletes. And, and I think that they were very focused on making sure that they did keep their kids involved in multi-sports. So it's a, it's a, it's a multi-headed animal that you're dealing with at that particular point in time, because, you know, sometimes it's the parents more than it is the kid. And sometimes it's the kid more than the parents. So I would have to step back and I'd say that I would read the room and try and figure out which one or both of those uh, two-headed animals it, it is. And I would uh, I would respond in a way that would promote involvement in all other sports, uh, or at least try to gauge some interest in that. And and just, you know, I would, I would you know, absolutely, and, and I have covered some of the, the, um, the downsides of, of what a, a single sport athlete uh, could encounter over the course of their training. Well, in your your three decades of experience uh, in uh, in in coaching, I think is is incredibly valuable to parents as they're uh, as they're attempting to help their um, their athlete make that decision. On several occasions, you've you've alluded to um, uh, yourself uh, or the the entrepreneurial aspect of of who you are. And I want to dig in on on that uh, here. 
uh, for for just a few moments. Um, so you um, you were uh, instrumental in, or you, you played a, a, an important role in uh, opening the sports barn, which I'll have you talk about in just a moment, um, in August of 2021 in Missoula, Montana. Yeah. My first question to you uh, regarding that is, uh, w what was the easiest thing about opening a business during a global <laughs> pandemic? Is, is this where I finally start crying? Yeah. <laughs> oh my Lord. Yeah. To, to start a business, that was, uh, it was terrifying. And it was, uh, it was something that we had flirted with uh, almost, I want to say six or eight months before that. So, you know, we, we, this, this pandemic, the pandemic really, uh, so I'm, I'm thinking back to 2020. I remember coming off of an airplane, uh, I was at a work conference in North Carolina, February, 2020. And I remember I got a text message from, I don't know, it, I, I don't believe it was CDC. I believe it was just another, just like, uh, the warning message that that basically said that North Carolina had just a, you know a confirmed COVID case. It was like the first COVID case in in North Carolina, and I remember looking at that, thinking this this has been more and more in the news. This could be potentially bad. And then I remember um, my my work day, uh, November fifteenth, was a Sunday, and that was when I got an email basically saying, well, a week before that, I got an email saying on on St. Patrick's Day, uh, March seventeenth, we were going to do a trial everybody works at home day to see if we have the bandwidth and capacity to have everybody work from home in case we reach a situation where people do have to work from home. And then I remember we got to that Sunday, the, the 15th. So not even, you know, two, two days before that sort of trial day where it was a, uh, do not come into work. Everybody's staying home for the foreseeable future. And it was an indefinite thing. It was just like, that's it. And the, it was the, what I always called it the day that the earth stood still. You know, we, we really kind of hit the skids on that. I actually just went back into my office about a month ago, and there's still a 2020 St. Patrick's Day uh, decoration in the, the bottom floor of the building. And it makes me start to feel like, you know, this uh, Walking Dead movie was actually a, a true story. <laughs> um, so opening a business then. Uh, it, it was scary. We were, you know, especially an indoor sports facility, right? When when you think about what gyms have to deal with in terms of MRSA and, you know, ringworm and all the, the nasty fungal, bacterial, viral things that are, are a constant threat on, on anything, now you put a, a global pandemic in the mix too, and it, it was stressful. So we were we were constantly watching constantly questioning whether or not to even put an offer in on this place and, and to even pursue what we were going to do. Uh, and it was, it was extremely stressful. There were, there were times where we felt like just walking away and not doing it. Um, but Amy and I, you know, I, she very much like me, we, we share a, a lot of these visions when it comes to that whole for the kids model. And it, we just, we saw it as a great opportunity. There, there isn't another place like that in this community. Uh, it would be, it was, it was an absolute dream for me. You know, I had always thought of uh, if you go on route four in Northwood and, and turn into those athletic fields, my vision was to always build a, a sports barn back there where that new field is being developed. Cause I think that would have been great. Right. That was, that was something that I had conversations uh, with the 
the local uh, government on and, and, you know, just tried to explore whether or not that could ever happen. So I would, you know, even attribute that the, the genesis of, or the, the, the genesis for the idea of the sports barn started with those athletic fields on route four and whether or not we could ever build something. So by the time we got to August, 2021, things had lightened up a little bit and they, they certainly clamped back down because we had some, some times where we just like, you know, had to shut down and had to had to go through all of the the um, restrictions and really you know put safety in front of everything uh so it was stressful but yeah we we hedged and and waited and uh thankfully we're you know trending towards hitting our second year successfully here if we can make it to august again i mean don't you feel like if if your business survived a global pandemic then it's it's fairly well bulletproof I, uh, okay. I, yeah, I, okay. I, I, I'll have you not for the record answer that question. All right. Let me, let me, let me, let me move on to, 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 to my next question. Um, how does a kid from Buffalo, New York, uh, wind up in big sky country? Why, why Montana? Yeah, this is, this is a fun trajectory here. So I was a screw up, you know, I was one of those kids that I, I, I thought of high school as, a place for me to work on some of my material as a class clown and I didn't take things too seriously didn't do so hot and then found myself uh, ending up in community college uh, and you and I this is great I'm gonna I'm gonna tie back and you know your your listeners aren't uh, hearing the conversation that you and I had in the beginning but we were talking about mascots because I asked about your hat and you're wearing a New Hampshire Fisher Cats hat and, you know, me being a scientist, I, I would like to, to really hyper focus on taxonomy and, and things, you know, being correct, correctly called. Right. Uh, the mascot of the high school that I went to was the Erie Community Cats. And it was spelled with a K, K-A-T-S. <laughs> so if, if there was ever a perfect mascot for a community college that I ended up at, it was the Cats. <laughs> Uh, which was effectively just the extended parking lot for the Buffalo Bills that was right next to Rich Stadium there. So um, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I found there was a table at a career day set up um, for forestry. And it was uh, it was the State University of New York College of Environmental Science and Forestry, SUNY ESF uh, Ranger School up in the Adirondacks. So I, I took a pamphlet and I, I spoke to the people and I ended up uh, – on a path to, to, to get my associate's degree in forest technology at the ranger school. And the way that works is you go up into the middle of nowhere Adirondacks. I think Ford Motor Company did like cold weather testing on vehicles in one of the frost pockets on that facility because it's like regularly 50 below zero uh, Fahrenheit, you know, in the wintertime where you can hear trees exploding because, you know, cellular explosion happens at like negative 40 and that's like a regular thing there. So um, ended up there and the path to get a bachelor's degree would have sent me to Syracuse. And I got really into living in the woods. I really loved forestry and I had this sort of like what next moment and uh, the director of the school at the time had a bachelor's degree from the University of Montana. So he um, he just started to show me. It was uh, that would have been in 1998 when the internet was starting to kind of come together a little bit more fluidly. So I was able to kind of do some searches and and see the University of Montana uh, from the computer in upstate New York. Uh, and I just on a whim bought a plane ticket, uh, 
very typical for, for where I was in life at that point, packed a suitcase. And I think I submitted an application as I was buying the plane ticket and made it out to Missoula to only find out then when I got there that they had accepted me. So I, I ended up in uh, at the University of Montana as a, a student. Uh, and then with that as well, uh, there was a group of kids that you know had like a lacrosse club that they had founded and I started playing with them. And again, had some like AOL minutes on a CD-ROM or whatever and you know was searching the collegiate lacrosse found the Men's Collegiate Lacrosse Association was a thing. That's a, 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 an organization that occurs in universities uh, to allow a club level of lacrosse where they don't have an NCAA program. It's sort of a, a navigation around Title IX. Uh, University of New Hampshire has an MCLA program. They're competing in the top 20 every year. Um, University of Montana and U University of Montana actually played UNH in uh, Durham and, and we did win. Uh, but yeah, so... Um, Right away as a student, I was like, I'm, I'm going to take this team. We're going to become an MCLA program. I, I, I actually became a player coach at that point. Uh, we, we started this thing. I got a degree in forestry, uh, which then propelled me into my career with the Forest Service. And I just bounced around the country with that job and have found myself coaching MCLA programs. As a result of that, I did a Ph.D. at the University of Idaho, coached that team. Uh, worked for the Forest Service down in Flagstaff, Arizona, and coached uh, Northern Arizona University, uh, and then ended up stationed in Durham. And we moved, we found our house in Northwood and uh, was able to coach there. So there's been a lot of intersection, and, and it really started uh, with that sort of plane ticket, suitcase, uh, college application to the University of Montana. And here I am again. Mm. Um, so give me the elevator pitch on the sports barn. What is it? I mean, it, it, the, the, the name of it is pretty self-explanatory, but, uh, but, but what's yeah. the elevator pitch for the sports barn? Uh, it's a place to play. It's, a, it's an indoor turf facility. We have a couple of PGA golf simulators as well, but it's a, uh, it's a place to play. It's the, you know, we, we are trying to create rec-level experiences in tandem, you know, there's there's a rec program here that's very successful in the in the city of Missoula, and you know we've actually I, I volunteer to coach some camps for them and, and do some other things with them as well. But we um, Amy and I really want to create just a fun environment where we do create leagues, clinics, camps, and everything to to just you know offer every opportunity to every kid if it's imaginable as a sport we will put it together and we will offer it, you know, and that's, that's what I tell people all the time, whatever you can think of, pitch it to me and I'll create a league. We just, you know, Chris, I, I, two in the morning was the, uh, I, I haven't, I don't remember the last time I went to bed before or, or, or after midnight on Saturday, I didn't get to bed until almost two 30 because I was umping a wiffle ball tournament. <laughs> you know, we, we, we hosted a wiffle ball tournament to, as a fundraiser for the Missoula softball association and it was a blast and it was, it ended at like 156 with a walk-off home run. And I was so excited to see that home run hit the fence or, you know, clear the fence. <laughs> do you think, um, do, do you think the climate uh, in Montana, which is probably roughly similar to the climate here in New Hampshire, we have <clears throat> five or six months, maybe Montana, maybe that winter season's a little bit longer in which, um, it's fairly inhospitable outdoors um, for 
you know, for recreation in general and, and, and nearly impossible for outdoor sports for some outdoor sports. Do you think the, do you think the climate in Montana is uniquely set up uh, for uh, an indoor facility like the sports bar? In other words, would you be nearly as successful if this, if you're at the sports bar was in Arizona or Texas or Florida? Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, th- uh, um, let me ask a question to answer the question real quick. Cause I, I just, it, what's the name of that season in New Hampshire that, is, that we have the season here too. That's right after winter. What is that called? It's a three letter word for the season. <laughs> well, I, we, we call it mud season yeah, here, here yeah. in, in New England. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, you, not only do you have winter that comp- you know complicates things, but then you have that mud season as well that just further extends our inability, unless we have turf fields outside to get out and play. So yeah, for sure. And, and would we be successful if we were down in, in Tucson or, or uh, you know, Tampa or you know, some of the, the warmer climates? No. This is this is uh, it, it's it's great up here. I have thought about uh, some outdoor uh, facilities though as well. I think that's part of our our if you know if if we really started to crack into our 10, 20 year plan, uh, some outdoor facilities is a part of that. Um, you know, I I have seen some beautiful examples of indoor outdoor complexes, and I think that that is a that's a great business model. You know, being able to to have that. Um, and, and being able to offer that. I love uh, box lacrosse. I love hockey. Uh, those are played in indoor facilities. Uh, but if you've ever watched the Winter Classic where the you know, NHL has some, some outdoor experiences in like Gillette Stadium or you know, some of these, these outdoor facilities, it's awesome. It's it, like it's inspiring. Yeah, you think of like the movie Mystery Alaska, right, where the New York Rangers are running in and out of a, a hut to get warm to go back out and take a shift in the middle of nowhere, Alaska. So I would love to, to have that sort of indoor outdoor uh, facility as well. But yeah, our indoor experience is, is uh, much, much more focused on the Northern latitudes. Uh, and as, as I predicted, my, uh, my dogs have made an appearance love it. Uh, in the podcast as is, uh, as is, <laughs> this is pretty commonplace. Um, Brown bear athletics, Brown bear athletics uh, is, uh, is a component of the sports barn. Uh, talk a little bit about what what is brown bear athletics. So um, the bear is uh, it's it's an identifier, and you know you had asked me about Missoula, Montana, and how I ended up here. Uh, the mascot of the University of Montana is the grizzly bear. Uh, that was very special to me because I was a part of, of growing something new. I was a kid. I was you know in my early twenties at the time. Um, but I identified with it. I, I found the bear paw as something that I could truly um, relate to. Uh, and it almost became kind of like medicinal to me where I, you know, it, it was, it was strong. And we have meandered um, from, from place to place. But when we landed in New Hampshire, you know, I'm 47 years old. I spent 10 years in New Hampshire. To me, that's a significant portion of my life still. You know, even if I live to 100, that's still 10% of my life. We're going to keep pounding on the stats and the math science uh, part there. But, you know, really 10 years is a, it's a long time. And, and in those 10 years, the, the Cobrown Northwood Academy were the black bears, you know, that, that was the, the, the uh, mascot of the high school that I coached at and the, uh, the, the black bear youth lacrosse program that uh, 
uh, some parents and myself uh, stood up, we were the black bear. You know, we, we wanted to be black bears because we wanted our kids to identify with the high school in the, the community that they were going to play for. You know, I wanted those little bear cubs to be wearing the red and black colors and have the bear paw logo on, on some of their, you know, the clothing uh, as they were at the high school game rooting for Co Brown. So, uh, you know, then we ended up, you know, I was living in, in Northwood. I got a job offer to move back to Missoula, Montana. And even before we started Brown Bear, I was, I was doing youth lacrosse stuff here in Missoula. And our program was the Mustangs. Um, but I, I was still doing stuff sort of through social media. And when I was doing stuff through social media, I was still tying the university, or I started to tie the University of Montana and co-brown and uh black bear youth together by I, I was hashtagging i think bears across america and you know it, it was the pandemic so when the pandemic came we were, we were having these like social media games of catch or pig we were you know challenging each other to shots and then sharing videos on our social media so there was a bear theme that continued to, to grow and develop and that was really the genesis of the brown bear athletics so did you um did you start with the grizzly bear and get a cease and desist letter from the university of Montana? What? Like, I, I know you've got Brown bear out there, but like I, when I think of, when I think of Montana, uh, I think grizzly bears, uh, <laughs> why Brown bear, not grizzly bear. Yeah. You know, so I, I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. I knew that there would be some potential. Um, I'm, I'm happy to say that, you know, we have great relationship with the university of Montana here and, and, uh, the president of the university, his son actually plays for Brown Bear lacrosse and he's, he's playing in our, our youth system. They're great people. So uh, I didn't want to step on any toes. I, I didn't even take a chance, right? I didn't want to get to any point where there was some sort of like legal uh, issue. Uh, so, but a grizzly bear is a brown bear, Chris. Like, you know, if, if, we, if we break it down, um, so, you know, Ursus arctos is the brown bear and Ursus arctos horribilis would be the grizzly bear. So, you know, the, you, you look at all of the like the Kodiak and some of the other you know, vicious brown bear in the, the, the uh, taxonomy that it all kind of fits, I think. So let me let me let me test my undergraduate degree in zoology here for a moment. Uh, here in New Hampshire, we have a black bear, and I believe that's Ursus americanus. Can you can you confirm that? I can confirm. Yeah, yeah, See? it's a uh, and a, a fun little secret that I think that was the the password for my Twitter uh, black bear <laughs> youth lacrosse account for a little while before I changed it. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't go trying it anyone uh yeah totally totally geeking out on on zoology i could probably i could definitely have you on as a as a guest and just talk about that you've talked about um uh building championship caliber culture yeah. um what what does that mean to you yeah it's uh it, it i hopefully uh ties back into everything that we talked about early on with the caprice on stuff right like the championship caliber uh, culture to me. The, the word culture has really taken on its own life form with the way I approach coaching. And I've, I've spent some time, I, I mentioned earlier, I, I communicate with a couple of uh, D1 and, and pro coaches still that um, have been mentors to me and have given me uh, some good counsel, some good guidance, uh, and a lot of feedback. Uh, Sean Quirk was the um, head coach for the um, the major lacrosse league. That was the the professional lacrosse league 
uh, before this um, premier lacrosse league started. He was the Boston Cannons uh, head coach uh, and had a, a stellar career as a, a college goalie and then a college coach. Uh, but I, I just, I go back to some conversations with, with Sean and, you know, he had talked about being on a college team that, you know, won no games or one game. And, and it was just this like defeating feeling. Right. And, and we had identified earlier that winning doesn't matter when you're in the youth program, winning starts to matter when you get to high school. Uh, so conversely losing matters and, and it especially so at the college level, when you get to the college uh, level and you're on a team that's, that's not winning any games, what is wrong? There's something identifiably wrong at that point. And it takes a deep dive and it, it's culture. Culture is everything. It's, you know, you could have 50 of the greatest uh, caliber lacrosse players in the world on a roster and lose every game because they don't identify with that team culture. They don't identify with your uh, teachings or philosophy or they just are, are very individualistic in their approach on things. So uh, I, to me, you know, when I think of championship caliber culture, I look at what he did where he took that team and they actually, they won a national championship two years later. Right. So you, you've gone from nothing to everything in a microcosm of, of time, right. There's the geologically that's a blink, right. Not even a blink. So uh, to me, it's one of those like uh, anything's possible moments, right. Where you you can, you can start to look at things and just think, you know, and, and, uh, I'm going to do this here. I'm, I'm going to make a Patriots plug as a Bills fan, but I'm going to, I'm going to give some props to coach uh, Belichick. Right. And, and that's a part of that sort of championship culture as well, where it's a, you know, do your job mentality and you create this system in which everyone subscribes to knowing that we just have a, we have to, we have, we have a role to play. We have a, a job to do. And if we put ego aside and all come together we could do something really special. And to me, you know, by the time a kid gets to high school and to college, I want them to experience everything they possibly can. That failure comment that I made earlier, that's why we fail. I, you know, I, I hope we had failed uh, countlessly in practices before we got to that point to the, to, to know that we could get to that point in, in uh, the playoffs where it doesn't matter anymore because we know that we can come together. And I know that if I fail or, you know, if, if one of my players fails, there's another player that's right next to him that can pick him up and we can get to that next level. So the, the, the culture part of things is, is really just, it's a, it's the glue that brings the team together to get to that endpoint. I, I appreciate you, your Patriots reference as a, as a, as a Bills fan. Um, I, <laughs> At one point in my life, I was I was also a, a Bills fan. That's a story for another day. Um, do your job is a is a is a great catchphrase for a T-shirt. But what? But for you, what what does culture mean? What 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 can your players expect? What does what does your championship caliber culture? What does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What can players expect from you in terms of in terms of let's say that you let, let's say that you come into um, that you're hired to come in and coach a program that has not been successful? 
-hmm. you know, we'll, I'll go back to using uh, the example I used earlier. Uh, in your region at the University of Colorado, they just hired a new football coach um, in large part to bring in, I suspect, uh, at least in part, to bring in a championship uh, caliber culture. Um, but what is your culture? What is Coach Hanavan's championship caliber culture? What does that mean? So what, I, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create something that has, uh, it's, it's a cause and effect thing, right? So I want to have, I want to create that cause that leads to the effects so much as, you know, when I show up to your home field and we're in a, let's just say we're a high school varsity team, we pull into your school and our kids are getting off of that bus, we're already up three nothing. We're already up three nothing because your kids are already thinking about the reputation that we've been building, and that is, you know, a, a, a pride, a culture, a, a grit. Uh, it's a it's a, a sense of of uh, ownership of everything that we do, and you know, really, what I what the the, the do your job part of it is it's it, to me I. I I really bond with that because I think of, you know, the game of lacrosse as this sort of chess match, much like all sports. You know, you can probably rationalize that into just about every sport, but I, I do think of it as this ultimate chess match where, you know, you're, you're not likely to win with one move. There are some geniuses out there that can win in a couple of moves in chess, but you know, chess for the most part is like a marathon. It, it takes some time and, uh, we'll, we'll tie back into running there as well, where there's strategies throughout and you have to segment things in a way that helps you, uh, especially when you hit some of those low points, you know, to, to win over a greater time, you need to be able to recover from the smaller failures within, right? And, you know, building that culture, it's a, it's a sense of pride. It's a sense of ownership in the program. I want every one of those kids to feel as strongly about our challenges and road to a championship as I do. I, I want everybody to feel like, you know, they are playing a major role uh, in that. And it's, um, it's, it's one of those things where I, I think about the bus and I think about our kids getting off the bus. And I, you know, I've, I've said this in, in speeches too. Like I, I want kids to, to, I want kids to already look at it and think that they're down three to nothing already. You know, I, I think, to me, it would seem easy to develop that uh, that culture and buy-in for, say, your first line or your second line. I think where it becomes difficult is that that on a high school, how many kids you have on a high school roster? 25, 30, right? Yeah, about thirty. I think you know, I, it, it can go as high as fifty in some instances, but All I right. think well, thirty. Well, yeah, just 30 let's different. let's say you got thirty kids on your high school roster. Again, it. it it's not difficult to get the top 12 kids to buy into, in, into this, into this culture, into this, everyone's, everyone's, you know, rowing in the same direction, but how do you get the 28th, 29th and 30th kid to buy in? Because don't, don't you ultimately need total and complete buy-in across the program in order, in order for you, in order for you to build that championship culture or am I, or am I off on that? No, you're hundred percent on, uh, you know, and, and, this is, this is great. I, I started to smile right away because I, I, I could see you asking the question and, and as you're asking, cause I, I, I think I'd hope that you would ask this question. Um, and, and I think of, I think of the university of North Carolina going to UMass 
uh, in uh, 2018. It was it was the year that the University of North Carolina won the national championship. Uh, I think it was 2018, and I just rem- I, I remember bringing Logan, my my son, um, and you know to 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 just to restate on the winning doesn't matter at the youth level. He had his Optimus Prime statue or whatever is his transformer thing in hand and and set it down on the thing, but. What I was pointing out to Logan at the time was they had six goalies. The University of North Carolina had six goalies on their roster. Six goalies, okay? And let me just put that in perspective for everyone real quick. When you have six goalies on a Division I college team, all six of those kids were probably in the top three of their state, right, as goalies. They, they were high level, the division one we're talking. So it, it's, it's uh, I think, realistic to say that those kids were exceptional high school athletes. And the likelihood of maybe three of those kids ever playing a college game or shift of meaning is unlikely. Those kids aren't going to play. They'll play in practice. They'll serve a role, right? So um, what I'm getting to is every time that the University of North Carolina scored a goal, that sixth string goalie was the first kid out on the field celebrating with his teammates. The first kid leading the charge to get high fives going and to amp up the team to keep that level of energy going. So I refer to that a lot and I really look at all of our kids and it's a, it's, it, it goes back to the development part of it as well. And that the teaching habit part of it as well, where I, I want to teach those habits so that when it, when it does come time for games, you know, those kids that maybe aren't going to get a single look at meaningful time, even if we're up by 20 goals, you know, it, it's, it's going to take, it's, it's a learning process. I, you know, we want to get them into a point where they are, but in practice, every second for every single kid should be equally as meaningful, right? I want every one of those kids to push themselves and, you know, it's, it's a sliding scale. Kids get hurt. We need the next man up. Uh, kids graduate. We need the next man up. Everything, you know, everything comes with with the, that sort of cause and effect. So it, it's um, it's a challenge. That's to me one of the greatest challenges of coaching is that when you're dealing with team sports, you're always going to deal, uh, especially as you get into that phase of high school and college where winning does matter. That challenge of playing time, that challenge of you know athlete satisfaction. Uh, in in being a part of a team, even if they're not going to play, how how do you how do you create that? Yeah, I mean, I think I I I think you're spot on. I mean, as um, you know, sort of can relate in my own, to my own personal experiences that um, you know as uh, as team sport athletes, we spend far more time in practice than we do in actual games, um, and so and so the 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 opportunity to contribute to the team um, is provided to everyone. Meaning um, if you're, if, if, you know, if you're not, if you're not going to get substantial playing time because of your talent level as compared to the, to to the other players on your team, um, you have an opportunity to push those kids in practice, right? There's a, there's a thing called scout team Mm -hmm. or second team or third team. I mean, there's a, there are always opportunities in practice for the kids that may not be getting substantial playing time in games to contribute to the team. But that, but that's driven by the guy at the top. Like it, that, that takes, I think the development of that championship caliber culture, 
that every kid on the roster understands that he or she has an important role to play in the ultimate success of that team. Again, what and, and but but that and that's extending beyond the actual the actual uh, the actual uh, gameplay. I, I I do think that's really really important. You know of of all of the things that you've that you've done personally and and professionally and the successes that you've had um, as an athlete as a as a coach as an entrepreneur, I think it probably is arguable that that your greatest success. Um, was was when you set a Guinness uh, World Record with your son? Do you want to? Do you want? Can you talk about? Can you talk about that? What? What? What Guinness World Record do you and your son hold? So it is a uh, it's a lacrosse record, and um, it's it's one of those things. It was a drill that we came up with during the pandemic, where we were just you know, and honestly, this is this is going to tie right back into the topic that we were just talking about with you know the, the 30th kid on a 30-man roster so um i'm constantly looking uh one, there's a couple of approaches uh to developing practice plans and developing drills and one of the thing you know one of the drills or one of the approaches is to, to create snippets of, of real-time game experience and that's your drill the other is skill-based it's it's just it's it's that you know building dexterity building that eye-hand coordination building the the key like muscle memory so that you don't have to talk about it right so i i, I developed this uh two ball passing drill and, and i say i developed it i'm sure you know it's not a novel concept of putting a ball in each kid's stick you could probably you know uh, uh i'm trying oh like i i, I well, um, uh, we're going to continue the movie reference here um you know, six minute abs in something about Mary and then the guy or the guy's like, I'm, I invented seven minute abs. And then, you know, I said, well, what about the six minute abs? Right. You know, it's, somebody's always going to be there to, to bring up, you know, you could have three ball passing or four ball passing, but uh, you know, to, to take two kids, put them, you know, uh, across from one another. And instead of, you know, just having a catch, put a ball in each stick and see what you can do and have, you know, throw them at the same time. And what it really does is it, it forces quickly kids, to start paying attention to the kid that they're playing with. It creates a connection in sort of like a metaphysical level where instead of I'm just throwing a ball to you and you're throwing it back to me and we're just, you know, we could talk about our day, do whatever we want. But if we have two balls going at the same time, we're trying not to hit those balls. We're, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to create some timing there. We're trying to create, you know, arcs that make sense. And it really creates uh, strength. And, and uh, you know, I, I push a, uh, a fun, fast philosophy as well. That's, that's something that I say to the kids all the time is like, let's, you know, let's go fast and, and uh, you know, let, let's push ourselves. Let's see how fast we can possibly go. Uh, Lars Tiffany, the, the head coach at the University of Virginia, he was the head coach at Brown uh, while I was in New Hampshire, and he would open his doors to me all the time, and I'm grateful for those experiences. But he was that sort of uh, mentor where he taught me you know, the, 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 you know, run as fast as you can push, push your limits, see if you can redline with, with your group and, and do everything that you can. So this two ball passing thing really helped me to, to build that speed in game situations. So uh, during the pandemic, we just started this sort of like challenge. How many, how many two ball passes can you complete? Uh, and then I went onto the Guinness book of world records homepage and I started the search around and there's just not that many uh, lacrosse records. There's one 
that was rejected by Ryan Hanavan in uh, 2019, I believe, where I, I tried to I tried to have the largest glow in the dark lacrosse game ever, and we thought we did it because there had never been anybody else that did a largest glow in the dark lacrosse game ever, uh, and we got a bunch of kids together from our Black Bear program, put a bunch of glow sticks on everything. They were all decked out. It was so much fun. Uh, we submitted it, thought we had the record, and then uh, Paul Rabel, I think it was, or somebody from like the PLL, they created a uh, largest outdoor game of lacrosse, and that was when I got the rejected letter back. So we didn't get it. Uh, and then, you know, so so here we are in 2022 now, and, and we figured we'd try it. Uh, and it didn't exist, and, and we did it. So right now, we uh, we successfully completed 40 passes, and 40 passes are two balls at the same time. It's, you know, two balls is one catch. So it's basically, it's it's moving back and forth 40 times in a minute. That's almost one catch per second, right? You're, you're moving the ball pretty quickly. And if you think about the management that is, uh, you know, kind of compounded by adding an additional ball into the mix, it makes it difficult. So I, it, I'm, I'm curious, and, and we, we challenged people to try and break it. I would love it if people break it because then it just challenges Logan and I to go back out there and, and do it again. Um, but I can also break some news here and tell you that right before we started this podcast, I pre pressed submit on a request for two additional world records. Uh, one, one being the most, the most catches in one hour which we have not attempted yet. Uh, we, we just want to, as, as soon as we get approval, we'll, we'll make the attempt. So it'll be the, the most catches with just one ball back and forth in one hour. And a, a frame of reference, softball, there was a, a woman, um, uh, I think Caitlin, I, I can't think of her last name right now. So she, she did it with softball. Um, I might have it. It's um, Caitlin Ross, uh, Maple Ridge, British Columbia. Yeah. So she completed 2,278 softball catches with her partner, Larissa Franklin. And that's a lot, you know, that that's a one hour grueling task. So we're going to try it with lacrosse if they approve it. And then, um, the other one that we do is a quick stick thing. So when the ball touches your stick, you have less than a second to get it back out of your stick. It's just an in and out thing. Right. And that's another fast is fun thing. And and uh, Logan and I are at, I think, 640, which is, you know, we, we do it, we, we challenge all our kids in our practices to do it. And, and if anybody gets to 50, it's a you know miracle. So Lo, Logan and I are, are crushing it right now. And if that gets accepted, I think we'll be able to get that one pretty quickly too. So, so <laughs> there, there, there must be very specific requirements. Um, yeah. So for anyone that anyone listening who who wants to uh, break uh, Ryan and Logan's uh, record, two ball record, um, how far do you stand apart? Uh, I think it was, it was seven meters. So about, you know, 21 ish feet. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, all all of the specs are out there. So, yeah, seven meters apart, uh, lacrosse stick. And, you know, I, I think it would have to be a, a not a long stick. It would be a regular stick. So 40 to 42 inch stick. Uh, and then regulation balls, which are about, you know, solid rubber, five, five and a half grams each. Um, so, yeah, standing, standing 21, 21 feet apart. Uh, I had some kids try and stand like right next to each other and they're just ding, 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 ding. And yeah, that didn't work so well either because I think they actually dropped the ball right away. But yeah, seven, seven feet apart, ball on each stick, put a minute on the clock. And just every, every transfer is one. 
if you drop the ball, so we never, we never said it. We didn't drop the ball in that minute. We have dropped the ball in, in several attempts and you know, that you don't do this in one attempt, as you know, it's a, it's a grueling thing that we had done a lot. Um, and you know, it, it just so happened that, you know, we were fortunate to, to be in the, on the turf, uh, and, and away from everyone when we could kind of lock ourselves in there and they didn't have to hear us, you know, yelling and, and whatever at, at uh, you know, every time we dropped the ball, oh no, you know, we're, we're so close. We got, I think we got to 36 at one point. I just remember like Logan, and I just like ran up to each other and like, we, you know, we're, we're shaking cause we were so excited. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a uh, it's just fun, you know, and that's another one of those things that I think that, you know, we, we constantly try to look for some silver linings out of the pandemic. It brought us together in different ways. And what I found as a coach is it challenged me to identify some new um, skills to incorporate into those focus drills. Right. <laughs> it's a great story. It's a, it's a, it's a great story. And I can, I can, I can, I can just picture now uh, uh, kids of all ages and adults uh, uh, all around the world now uh, working to uh, working to break that record for, uh, for anyone who attempts it. Um, if they, if they wanted to hashtag you so that you could, that you could, uh, that you could view the, the result, uh, what's a hashtag that you typically use with, with one of your businesses? So, uh, Brown Bear Athletics, Brown, so there's, if if it's lacrosse, uh, we also have the Brown Bear Lacrosse Academy. Uh, and yeah, if, if you were to, you know, just kind of give some shameless plugs here, our Instagram, uh, sports barn, uh, and Brown Bear Lacrosse, uh, pages, Facebook is a sports barn. And then uh, I do a lot of TikTok now. I'm a, I'm an avid, uh, frequent TikToker. And I have a, a Brown Bear lacrosse TikTok and a Missoula sports barn TikTok. But yeah, hashtag Brown Bear Athletics. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, thank you for mentioning those. I'll also include uh, links to uh, to all of those socials uh, on the uh, on the podcast notes. Uh, Ryan, let's finish with this. Um, it's a fun segment of the show. I like to call three random questions. Okay? Yeah. I got three random questions for you. The first thing I need you to do, though, is uh, I need you to confirm for the listener that uh, you have not been given these three questions in advance. I have not. The only thing I can say is that I'm a pretty random dude. well then perfect uh this will suit you just fine so this is a for me this is always an interesting exploration into how quickly people think on their feet okay all right here we go uh first random question uh ryan for you is this true or yes the bills mafia is a real mafia (laughs) true (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> do, do you care to elaborate uh, on that at all, or are you are are you not in a position in which you could elaborate on that? Uh, it's it's um it's amazing, and and I'm uh, I'm living in Montana, thousands of miles away from Buffalo, and it's just it's fun to see people identify with the Buffalo Bills in ways that you know I didn't know when when I was uh, when I was growing up, it was my four years of high school where they lost all four of those Super Bowls. So to me, it was like yeah, this is great. You know, we've, we've had some success, but the Bill's mafia thing really started to take off with, it was the, um, it was a culture thing. It was the, you know, people, crazy tailgaters. It snows there all the time. It's cold. Now you got people jumping on, uh, picnic tables after tailgates. Um, and if, if I could tell this story real quick, it's uh, my dad, if, if my dad's listening, he's going to, 
get a laugh out of this. It was in 1999 that the Sabres made it to the Stanley Cup final, and they were playing the Dallas Stars, the former uh, Minnesota North Stars, and it was game six. Minnesota was up three to two, and I just remember it was June, I'm going to say June 6th. I'm, I'm confident that that's a true date, um, and it was like 90 degrees out. It was a beautiful day, should not be playing hockey. And it was uh, like very much a Bill's atmosphere tailgating. And this dude rolled a Ford Pinto in and he had to tow it in. And it was his grill. He, you know, the, he would cook on the hood and he would hand a bowling ball full of like Everclear or some kind of, of uh, grain alcohol to people. And I was one of them. He handed it to me and I, I drank this shot. I, I'm fortunate to still have my eyesight. Um, but that was my sort of indoctrination into the, the, the Buffalo sort of like sports culture. And now that I see what the Bills are doing, the Bills Mafia, it's, it's real. Josh Allen is the, the godfather. <laughs> is this, um, I mean, aside from those Super Bowl years, is, is, this, is, this the, is this the greatest time to be a Buffalo Bills man? You know, I'm going to say that I embraced and enjoyed my childhood as a Bills fan. I had a black and white TV in my bedroom. Uh, I'm 47. It's not like I lived in the, the era of everything was in black and white, but it was just like affordable to have a black and white TV at the time. And I would watch all of the games. I I love what they're doing right now because I, I it's just it's great to see like my kids, my kids, my kids like any team. They they were Patriots fans when they lived there. They're they're like Seattle Seahawks fans sometimes, or they're you know, Carolina Panthers, whatever. But um, it's cool to see all of these kids uh, take it up. I'm a bit of a fanboy. We have a former Buffalo Bill uh, coaching one of our flag uh, football teams in our facility right now. So every time he comes in, I, you know, hi, how are we doing? Can I help you? You know, let me, let me get you everything that you need. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay. Random question. Number two, uh, what's it like going to outer space? <laughs> So the NASA thing, the astronaut thing, uh, I am a, a forest entomologist. I study insects that kill trees. I have, a, um, I have been working with remote sensing for most of my career, so using satellites and, and other uh, airborne uh, applications to collect high-resolution imagery uh, beyond the visible spectrum. I had a technician uh, and an entomologist in uh, Durham who took my picture and photoshopped my head onto uh, it was a, it was Neil Armstrong. I, I, I don't think it was Buzz Aldrin. It was Neil Armstrong. Uh, and, and he put it on my door and I'm, I'm confident that it's still there today. If you were to go into the Durham field office, you'd see that picture. Uh, but the truth uh, I did actually uh, in, I don't know, it was maybe 2000, it was in 2018 or 2019, NASA released uh, a call for candidates application on USA Jobs. I applied and I made it through with the credentials that I have. My, my CV was accepted as a, um, a potential candidate. And there was like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people that did this, but I got a letter from NASA and an email from NASA that said, you know, you have advanced the first phase of selections and then, you know, the, the, um, the, the pandemic hit. So it delayed it even further. And I got like multiple emails over the course of the pandemic from, you know, NASA basically where I was able to show my kids, like, I'm still in the mix here. You know, I could, I could be an astronaut. So, 
my youngest, Cameron, is uh, he's nine now and still actually thinks that I've been to space from seeing that picture. <laughs> it is it every every time you share, and I don't, maybe it pops up, maybe the photo pops up as a memory and you share it that way. But every time it gets shared, uh, I have to chuckle, and I and 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 it also. Uh, it has uh, increasingly piqued my interest about what the, the backstory, what the backstory was. Um, if you were 30 years younger, um, do you think the Space Force might have been in your future? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot of things that I, you know, it, it's uh, I'm, I'm very happy with the trajectory that I've I've been a part of good and bad. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think Space Force and Mission Mars would be high on my radar. <laughs> uh, okay, last, last random question. Um, the, the bear uh, is your self-professed spirit animal. Correct. Bears exemplify strength, courage, patience, and playfulness. All characteristics I, I suspect you possess. Their hibernation cycle reminds us of the importance of rest and privacy, quiet time away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. How do you hibernate and get away? Uh, so it would be um, back to how I met you with some endurance racing and running and things like that. I, I have found uh, a profound love of of really challenging myself, uh, and and that's my escape. You know, if if it's putting on a pair of show, snowshoes, and 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 getting my butt whooped because you posted, hey, I'm having a fun run, and you always say it's like fun run or whatever, right? Like I'm, I have a fun group that's going to meet today. You know, <laughs> to me that it's it's absolutely torture, but also it truly is fun. So my my hibernation, my escape, is getting out there and it's, it's a recalibration, right? Like if, if you're going to sleep, if you're going to rest, you need to be able to check out from the daily grind of, of what you're doing. But to me, I, I also find that love and satisfaction of, of really testing myself uh, if I'm going to ask others to do things that, uh, that are going to be um, hard to achieve. I mean, don't you feel like as a, as a parent, it's important for you to model to your boys, this, um, this work ethic, uh, you know, working hard and 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 grinding and staying on task, but at the same time, um, making sure to have time to nurture your your physical and and emotional and spiritual well being. I mean, don't you don't you feel like modeling that is just as important as 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 model as modeling the grind? A hundred percent. I actually um, I had a parent meeting. I I, I kind of spilled a little bit that I'm going to be coaching high school this year. Uh, so I, I had a first introduction of myself to the the high school parents, and I got asked about accountability, you know, and, and how I how, how I hold the the greatest, um, you know, the if you're looking at number one on the depth chart versus number thirty on the depth chart, like how do I hold one to thirty accountable for things, you know, and 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 really it it needs to be identical, it needs to be the same. So I have to be able to emulate that in my actions and my my doing. So yeah, I 100% agree with that. Ryan, I, I really appreciate you spending some time with me today. This is uh, it's, it's been a great conversation, as I expected it would be. I love it. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I've I've been a fan. I've I've been listening to these podcasts, and and you're gonna 
you're going to keep me along for the journey because I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I love what you're doing. Uh, appreciate all the time that we were able to spend together. Wish there was more. Uh, and I hope we find ways to connect and, uh, and con continue to intersect over the, the future here. Well, I still, I still owe you a trip to Montana. So, uh, you can, you, you, you can expect at some point I'll be knocking on my door with, a uh, uh, with a bag of luggage and, uh, we'll, we'll be able to, uh, to spend some time in big sky country. It's funny that you say that because I'm, I'm going to have a, a little fun run put together for when you come out here that we can go on and do it. It's, it's, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe we just head down to the Grand Canyon and do the rim to rim to rim or something like that. <laughs> I'll, 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 hey, listen, all I need is about four months of, of heads up and I can I can be prepared for just about anything. I love it. I love it. Please give my best to, to Karen and, and your family. Love seeing your dogs make a little cameo there too. Thanks again, Ryan. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Have you ever heard a coach make the connection between their coaching philosophy and Capri Sun juice boxes? I certainly haven't, but Ryan did a masterful job. And the approach of For the Kids is a succinct synopsis of his coaching career to date. Every coach could learn something from that sentiment. Truthfully, if it's not for the kids, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Once again, you've been listening to the Eat Half Walkable podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please circle back to the homepage and click the follow button to stay up to date with all the new content. And of course, if you really enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your friends. I'll be posting some supporting media on my Twitter account at Coach Chris J. Dunn and the show's Facebook page at Eat Half Walk Double. So make sure to check that out. And lastly, remember, the secret to living well and longer is to eat half, walk double, laugh triple, and love without measure. Until next time.